All right. Well, we are back again this week and doing something a little bit different. But before we do that, I have to say Pastor With No Answers, so the music kicks in. So you're listening to the Pastor With No Answers. There you go, Jared. Right now, push play. Okay, cool. Now that the music is going and everybody's feeling a little bit more loose and it's like there's certain parts of your brain that are being accessed right now because of my voice over the background music. And for some of you, it's stressing you out. For others, it is just relaxing you. And Jack is here with me. We almost, uh, what's the wow for? I, I don't know. That, I, that felt very profound. <laughs> so Jack and I are actually in what you call the bullpen at the Long Point campus of Seacoast, which is the original campus, kind of the, the big campus. And I actually felt like I was intruding today. Like you gave me the code to get back here. I felt like I was not supposed to be back here. You're not. <laughs> we got to do this real quick. <laughs> so you could have gotten in trouble. <laughs> real quick and then get out of here. So I listened to a podcast called Bible for Normal People. And I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. And so I support that podcast because we always talk about supporting podcasts is a good thing. And so uh, why not um, do it ourselves? So uh, Pete Enns, I really enjoy his books and they have helped me tremendously in kind of where I'm at in my faith and questions I've been asking and, and all of that. Well, I actually had never heard of Richard Rohr before hearing him on Pete Enns podcast, which I'm sure for a lot of listeners he is a very familiar name and maybe you've read his books and all that but i was introduced to him uh to him for the first time uh through the bible for normal people podcast and i have listened to this episode that jack and i are going to discuss at least four times uh just because i think that it is extremely helpful for me personally just to like some of the thoughts that I'm thinking and some of the questions I have, it's giving me at least another perspective to work with and someone like that who is very well respected and seems to be pretty intelligent. We'll see what uh, Jack thinks about that. See, uh, So it's just been helpful for me, but I, I'm curious. So what we're going to do today is we're actually going to, uh, with, with permission of, of Pete ends, which I find it funny, what, podcaster would say no you can't play any clips for my podcast so he gladly gave us permission to play some of these clips from that episode and then talk about it but before we do that like jack did you know anything about richard Rohr before listening to this episode and kind of what's your snapshot thoughts like are you just like this dude's a weirdo heretic that has a feel-good spirituality no, so I don't know whether, it, it, like, I'm not sure if I've read anything of his before. Um, I, I knew the name, but I, I just can't remember um, whether, I, I've never heard him before, but um, I'm not sure if I've read anything of his. Uh, no, I, you know, uh, in, in some ways, I kind of reminded me of the Paul Young episode yeah. that uh, you guys did. Yeah. Where he's just he's he seems like a very thoughtful, uh, introspective guy who's, um, you know, just been been thinking about this for a long time, and also, you know, not just been thinking about it, but um, he's been interacting with people for a very long time, right. and and talking with people and helping uh, others work through 
these things. And, and I think that there's always a, a difference between people who are just up in their own heads and kind of live in their minds um, thoughtfulness yeah. and the thoughtfulness that comes from interacting with others. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what he made me think of. Again, kind of a, a Paul Young sort of thing. Yeah. So in your heart, uh, and I know you're you're hesitant to like make judgment calls on people, but in your heart of hearts, when you hear guys like Paul Young and Richard Rohr, do you think, yeah, they are good thinkers and it's neat that they give things a lot of deep thought, but this this stuff is like where they're coming from. Do you think to yourself, oh, they could be right on the money, or do you think, eh, they're definitely wrong with with some of this stuff? Um. Well, you know, I... Because I, I think it's impossible for yeah. people to not hear other perspectives and think yeah, sure. they're wrong, some of them. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, I, I definitely, just the way I'm wired, I always have, you know, guys like Paul Young and, R and Richard Rohr, there are definitely some things that I tend to react to. Yeah. Um, in, in just in terms of things that I sort of knee-jerk do not like. In terms of approach, I, and but you know, I say that do not like, but at the same time, um, some of that's just preference, right? Yeah. Um, so that's not a knee jerk. They're wrong. That just might be a knee jerk. It's like, oh, I I can't stand that, <laughs> or a knee jerk. like I do not like that approach. Um, but some of that is that's not how I would do it. Some of that is that's not how I think people in general should do it. And some of that is just that's uncomfortable, whether it's good or not. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think what what led me to do this episode and talk to you about this is a theme that has come out multiple times in conversations with you is your not only hesitancy, but almost a disdain for people putting too much emphasis on experience, which I have. Is that unfair to say? Uh, no, no. Why don't you finish that thought? Okay. So when I heard, I, I would say most of my spiritual life, uh, I would have agreed with that as far as, yeah, you can't put too much um, stock into experience, but where I'm at right now, it's almost all I have. Sure. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible isn't supportive of it, and um, I would say experience and community and other people's experience. Like, mm -hmm. I just kind of feel like, you can talk to a lot of smart people that if you're just going to talk strictly Bible, they could probably shoot holes in a lot of stuff. You're probably more capable of arguing back with someone like that and shooting holes in their stuff. Yeah. But it's like academically who, who is correct with, you know, whether or not the Bible's true or whether or not the Bible is the only way and all these sorts of things. Yeah. So I think for me, experience is super important and I've never heard it talked about in this sensible this powerful of a way yeah as far as he talked about it yeah so um in terms of in terms of uh my reacting to experience um and actually this episode is really good for uh really clarifying what about that i do not like yeah and and so and i don't we we might get into some of this with, with the clips we're going to play. I'm not sure. But, you know, one point, um, Richard talks about the importance of the Bible, tradition, and personal experience. Yeah. And he sort of, if I'm remembering correctly, he kind of says those three things working together 
um, are sort of where we derive authority. And that's right. kind of my paraphrasing, but it's kind of what he's saying is... Well, and he would say it's a tricycle. The experience is the front wheel. So Right. He, so, so, he, so, I mean, what I would say is um, it's... Uh, well, I don't have a good... I'll have to think of a good analogy, but it's, it's to me, though they're all constantly working together. Right. Um, because the Bible is the record of people's experiences with God uh, interacting with the traditions that they have. And tradition uh, is, in, like, so if you think of Christian tradition, Christian tradition is made up of other people's experiences uh, interacting with the Bible, interacting right. with God. So it's like those three things should be constantly working together. And the danger is um, emphasizing one of those at the experience of all the rest, um, so, you know, for example, you know, like I think that, uh, one mistake that you know, Protestants, evangelicals tend to make is elevating the Bible above all of those other things at the expense of all of those other things. Yeah. And that's not to say that the Bible isn't authoritative in a way that tradition and experience aren't. I, I do think it is authoritative in a way that the, those other ones aren't, but that isn't to say that those others don't have authority. They do and they should. And when you dismiss the authority of the others or you raise one of those up so high that the others suffer, I think that's where the problem is. Right. Because obviously, you know, our experiences with God do matter. Right. Um, and obviously, I think that we jettison tradition at our peril. I think that is a horrible, horrible thing to do is assume that tradition shouldn't have any place or that tradition doesn't have authority. I think it does. Um, but at the same time, you know, one mistake that, you know, evangelicals tend to make the, oh, you know, well, the Bible, the Bible is our only authority. Okay. Um, but you're still reading it. Right. Right. So in other words, um, between that authority, uh, so, so in other words, that authority is supposed to go through your brain, right? It's supposed to go through your experiences. Right. You are still the one interacting with that text. So the idea of, all you have to do is read the Bible, and that's authoritative. That's not right. how that works. Right. If it was, we would all be reading it the same way, and we would never have any disagreements. Yeah. But we don't, because we all filter the Bible through our own experience, our own lives, our own traditions. Yeah, that, that's that's good. And, and sometimes people say stuff, and I think I'm a pastor, man, so I'm thinking about our listeners here. And I mean, so, I mean, camp out on that thought for a second. Yeah. It's like when you read the Bible, you're not working with just the Bible. You're working with your brain and the Bible. Well, and, and you know, we would also say um, if you're reading it in the spirit of, and also I would say the Holy Spirit, right? Right. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, reading it uh, in the spirit of humility and asking God to help you understand it. Um, but even then, I mean, one of the interesting things is um, that doesn't mean that we're all going to read it the same way, and that's okay. Right. Um, but, you know, the... Um, there is, when we talk about history, for example, um, there's kind of this idea in the discipline of history of, is it possible to actually know history? Yeah. And w one, of the, one of the, you know, kind of deals is, well, some people say, no, you can't, because the only way you can know about a past event is through another person relaying it to you. Yeah. Right. So yeah. in other words, there is no possible way to objectively know history. And I think that that is a very important, even if you don't agree with that overall, right? Like I do think you can know history, but that is still a very important thing to keep in mind, right? Is that um, what happened in the past 
comes to us through other people, and it's important to keep that in mind. And, you know, the Bible um, comes into our, when we read the Bible, it is still going through us. And how reliable are we? Right. Right? And that is where, and it's in, so in other words, that is why I think it's, it's, we need to be careful about, you know, elevating any of those three above the rest, especially at the expense of the rest. And I think we naturally tend to do that, and that's why we need to be careful about it. Yeah. All right. So let us uh, let's dive into some some clips of the Bible for normal people. This is a conversation between Richard Rohr, Pete Inns, and the other co-host. Sorry, don't remember his name. And the the two the two themes that I want to focus here on with Jack is the experience part, which we've already talked about. And we're going to talk about a little more in depth, but also how Richard Rohr thinks the Bible should be approached. So he, and, and you're going to get a lot of this out of his quotes, but he believes that the authors had written things down based on their very limited knowledge of God and based on a very primitive approach to life. So in other words, that culture back in the day, they life revolved around okay these people are bad people we need to destroy them or god destroys people and that's why the the flood happened and like a retro retributive god retribution god retributive what's the word what's the adjective for retributive I just I just want to hear you. <laughs> you wanted yeah, to hear me fumble around you with know it. One of those. I is know right. retribution, but what's the adjective form of that? A retributive. Uh, yeah, well, retributive. It's one of those things where you're saying it so much that I don't want to say it because it's going to be wrong. <laughs> oh, that's funny stuff. All right, so let's listen to. I was just saying, angry God. Yeah, angry that's God. A... All right. Ecology, and I look at the Bible, and I clearly see that there are writings that represent very primitive levels of consciousness. That's not to say they're uninspired, but they reflect, you know, a pretty violent, dualistic, punitive, wrathful notion of God. Let me pull out books like Joshua and Judges. I'm not saying they're uninspired, but I certainly wouldn't put them in the same category as the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. So I, I just have to be honest about the text that the evolution of religious consciousness for me is exemplified in the Bible and people sin or something. If you just stay at that superficial level, you do think God is a God of retributive justice. But the prophets, especially Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, they introduce an idea that it's taken us, frankly, 2,000 years to comprehend. Jesus exemplifies it, but we still couldn't get it. And that is restorative justice. That again and again, if you read the full historical context in which the prophet is writing or speaking, he uh, again and again says, you've done it wrong, you're terrible, you're sinners, you're hypocrites, you're prostitutes, you're phonies, but you know what? Yahweh is going to love you anyway. <laughs> God is going to love you into wholeness. I mean, the dry bones of Ezekiel 16, it's there all the way through the prophets. But I think we were so, you used the word PTSD before. I think a lot of the early passages that reflect very primitive consciousness, 
where God is always smiting his enemies. And forgive the unkind word, but when you have God being pissed off most of the time, people who start reading those texts, especially as most of us did as children, I think we suffer from a kind of spiritual PTSD that we are afraid of this God, we don't like this God, we don't feel safe around this God, and those early retributive justice passages so froze us in consciousness that we just couldn't hear the passages about universal mercy, forgiveness, compassion. It was just too hard to believe. Try this. Of course, Acts of the Apostles, where we hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, is still being written in the first decades of the Christian revelation. I would think most are still highly carrying this primitive notion of God being in immediate causality connection with everything that happens. And so I don't know the historical setting, but if they happened, one of them did happen to die or whatever, of course we would naturally, I probably would have too, immediately attribute that to God's immediate intervention in history of punishment. It's just real easy for human beings to read historical events that way. Even though Jesus has said, do you think when the tower fell in Siloam, uh, that means those people were more sinful than anybody else? So we see Jesus reflect a very high level of consciousness. Mm. But he's always been so far ahead of most of human history that we just pulled him right back into our dualistic mind. We have to learn almost, we have to be retrained to recognize, to honor, to be obedient to this living word. And then once you learn how to discern the living word, the living presence, the risen Christ, then we can put the Bible in your hands and you won't abuse it. <laughs> then we can make you a good Catholic who loves the Pope and loves the bishops. All right, so lots here to dive into. Let's just start at, do you think, Jack, that it is a plausible approach to the Bible to say, okay, we see the progression of, I mean, you could almost, you could, I could almost call it the sanctification of earth and God's people as far as their understanding of God. It's like <clears throat> group sanctification. And he even, he even, uh, there's, there's other parts where I heard him say stuff along the lines of, um, the passage, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's in Chronicles or what, but it says, you know, the Lord will fight your battles. And he said right. that was like a huge revelation for those people to recognize grace that it's always been there, but they almost grasped it. But then obviously there's more stories in the Bible of violence and God killed a bunch of people and all that. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it possible that God isn't a God of retribution? Well, um, uh, so so back up to kind of the, the, the bigger question there in terms of, and, and let's, uh, you're also kind of asking uh, whether they had to, what, kind of develop in their understanding of God? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like, like the idea that he talks about, about the, if you read some of the Old Testament, uh, sort of a very primitive level of consciousness. Right. Um, so... 
so on the one hand, I think that so so on the one hand that is obviously true. Um, you know, the the Old Testament is is you know especially uh, the first five books of the Bible um, is God revealing Himself to a people who don't know Him, right? And so they have to learn about Him. And they have to learn about him because he's not like the other gods that they know. Um, you know, gods in the ancient Near East were localized. They were very retributive, very manipulative, but also able to be manipulated. Um, now, and when you when you call out these gods, do you do you feel like these are made up gods, or I mean, what's your take on this when you use the word god? Well, I mean. Spurious. No, I don't want to. I don't want to get into the weeds on this. Um, I mean, are there other supernatural beings besides God? Yeah, I think the, I think it's pretty clear that there are. Gotcha. And so, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's you know, demons or you know whatever. Um, but you know what? You know whether whether there is you know an actual supernatural. But you know, he, he, it's it's interesting. You know, one one of the things that you hear a lot. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this. Um, one of the one of the favorite you know kind of atheist taunts is. Um, you know, you're an atheist too. I just believe in one less god than you. The yeah. idea being that, like, oh, well, you deny all the other gods that people have claimed existed. And, you know, for a long time, I really felt like, wow, that's a really good point. Or a really good point in the sense of, like, I'm not sure how to answer that. But then I can't remember who I was talking to. It's like, that's actually a really terrible point in the sense of um, when, when, you know, when Jews and Christians talk about God, that is a very, that is a categorical difference from the way that anyone else talks about gods, right? You would not um, include Muslims into in that? Um, I Only because I don't know enough. Gotcha. Right. Um, only because I, my, my sense would be that I would include them, but I don't know enough right. to. Um, thank you for, for asking that. Um, so, um, so, so, so in other words, like, like you know, kind of the, I can't remember who this was, uh, but the point the person was making was, um, oh, I know who it was. Uh, it was David Bentley Hart. Um, and David Bentley Hart's basic point, and I'm very much paraphrasing him, is, all of those gods could have existed, and that wouldn't be a problem for us because God, the way we talk about the way the Bible talks about him as this creator who is constantly creating, he is, um, you know, before all things, and in, in him all things have their being. He is holding all things together. That is a categorical difference from the way that people talk about gods. Right. Um, and our problem is actually when we tend to talk about God, we tend to lower him to the level to that kind of God. Um, so anyway, that is as a kind of a brief discursion. So I should talk about that more uh, yeah, later in, in a different venue. But um, so anyway, so so they have to learn about God in the Old Testament because he is so unlike the gods that they know. He's not local. He's everywhere. Um, he's not. You can't manipulate him, right? Um, he is. Uh, he is. He is fundamentally different and. And one of the things you see them struggle with, one of the reasons they struggle with this throughout the Old Testament is because it's hard for them to understand that. And the, 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 you know, when you see them mess up over and over again uh, in the Old Testament is when, they, is when God's people start treating him like another one of these gods, right? Um, that is the mistake they make over and over and over, and it takes them a very long time to, to understand him. So there is a development in Scripture of understanding who God is. And there, there's theological development all through the Old Testament, right? Like the, the idea of the afterlife is an idea that um, is very murky and ill-defined, um, even in David's time. Um, now, when you say development, would, yeah. you, would you say 
uh, additions or would you say deconstruction in the Old Testament? No, I, I would, I would, well, addition, yeah, additions. Like, you know, the, the, um, David didn't have a concept of bodily resurrection the way the Jews during Jesus' time did. Right. Um, that developed, right? Because, in, in, you know, in kind of the beginning, there's a sense of kind of this general, um, everyone dies and goes to the place of the dead. And then you sort of have this sense of, well, wait a minute, but, but we're God's people. So God's people must go somewhere else. Right. And so they go somewhere else. And then, and you kind of see this in Ezekiel, um, the, the Valley of Dry Bones, um, God's people don't just go to a different place, but they're going to be raised up on the last day. And this idea of resurrection develops. Um, and, and so by Jesus' time, in, in John 11, I think, um, when Lazarus dies, you know, Jesus says, do you believe I can raise him? And Martha says, I believe he will raise on the last day. And that's what she's talking about, this idea of bodily resurrection of God's people on the last day. Yeah. And um, Jesus says, I'm going to raise him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. And that's one of the re- reasons no one understood what Jesus was talking about when he said, um, I'm going to die and rise again. And we're like, why didn't they understand that? Because none of them had a concept of the idea of a resurrection within history. Yeah. Resurrection happened at the last day. So someone's saying, I'm going to be resurrected after I die now, that didn't make sense to them. Right. And that's just an example of, of so, like, theology did develop. Right. And so this idea of um, the Old Testament reflects a more primitive understanding of God than the New Testament, I'm, o- like, I'm okay with that um, to an extent. So, and, and maybe this is the extent yeah. that you would not cross the line. Would you be comfortable with saying, yep, the whole killing all the Canaanites, women, and children, they did not hear from God. God would not command that. That was their primitive understanding of God, I would, and that's what they yeah. really thought. I would, be, I would be open to that. Yeah. I would. I, I think where I, where, I t- where I want to be more careful is treating them... So, so the idea of a, primitive, a more primitive understanding meaning a less inspired understanding. And that's where I would disagree with, with Richard Rohr. And I feel like I always feel very silly saying, I disagree with this person who's been alive for 50 more years <laughs> totally. than I have and is much smarter and wiser than me. Um, I'm, I don't like saying that um, because it makes me very insecure. But, um, and, and, here, and here's what I mean. Like, like to me, and you can have... say that statement again? You, well, yeah, I think you can have a more primitive understanding of God that is just as inspired. Okay. And, and here's what I mean. Uh, so, so when I tell my boys um, not to hit each other, and thankfully rarely a problem. If my wife ever listens to this, she'll want me to make that clear that right. they're actually very sweet to each other. But if I ever have to tell them, hey, we don't use our hands to hit others. Okay. So we don't use our hands to hit others. That is a, uh, a statement that is good. That is a statement that uh, that teaches a an important principle for how to interact with other human beings while you were alive on Earth. It is not exactly as nuanced as the just war theory, right? That has all sorts of facets and points and and intricacies. And so, um, but the idea of we don't use our hands to hit other people, I don't think that is less uh, true or good of a principle than something that's much more complex and nuanced. Does that make sense? I think so. Relating that to the Canaanites, what would we say? That those people understood from God that evil is a is a bad thing and to shun it, but they're like, oh, we're going to well, kill them. I don't, you know, so, so um, 
from a more in, in a more general sense. I thought um, you were going to say a more intellectual. I was no. going to be okay with that. <laughs> from from a more in a smarter uh, way. <laughs> you know, like a more a more general sense. Um, you know, when uh, so when when God says, you know, um, oh gosh, I'm just I'm. I, I don't want to get I, I don't want to get into like a very specific instance, um, <clears throat> but you know when uh, when when God says that you know I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then later you know uh, Jesus says, "Well, is he the God of the living or of the dead?" Right. So. I am the God of Israel, Isaac, and Jacob. That is a statement, right? But then we see someone else take it to a far more theologically complicated level, right? Right. Um, that doesn't mean that what that their understanding of that phrase or that statement was less inspired, even if they didn't understand it fully. And that's kind of what I'm saying is, I don't I don't have a problem saying that. Um, they had a more primitive understanding of God. Where I take issue is the idea that primitive means less inspired. Gotcha. Um, because what, what, what you would have to say is that God is incapable of explaining himself to people in ways that enable them to understand him fully, given their own limitations. And that is what I don't like, because um, to me that is also, that can become a very arrogant sense. Really, because, oh, be, well, because I have a higher level of consciousness, I can understand God better. Well, maybe, but... Are you sure? Right. And one of the things that, that you see about God is he reveals himself to people so that they can know him. And to say that because they had a more primitive understanding of God, that their understanding of God was less inspired, that is basically saying to me, that is basically saying that God is incapable of making himself known to people who have more primitive understandings. Right. And I take issue with that. And again, that's not to say that they can't, that they are unable to understand certain concepts. I'm fine with that. But they can know God just as much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. So you would say as far as, uh, I don't know, you call him Father Richard, Father Roar. But Richard Roar, when he says that he would see, I think he used the word inspired. Or he, at the very least, he said, I would put, the Gospel of John in a yeah, different no, he, category he would, of Joshua. Yeah, he, he, you, you in terms would take of inspiration, in terms of inspiration, he said that he would not put them in the same category. And I think, and honestly, I should say, I, I think that in terms of the way I'm talking about this, I think he would probably agree with what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. And so it might. You know, I, I think that it, it's. I don't know. I, I feel like we'd we'd probably say the same thing. Um. Maybe. Um. Because you know, one thing he doesn't talk about really is what inspiration means to him. Yeah. And so it could just be that I'm not, you know, I don't fully understand what uh, what he means by that. But but that's kind of my my issue is when you start saying, well, this part of the Bible um, isn't cause, well, because to me, saying a part of the Bible isn't as inspired means it's not as authoritative. I don't think he'd say that, but I have a hard time seeing how you can't say that. Yeah. Um, and and especially you know that like the Ananias and Sapphira example is a good one. Um, because to say, oh, well, they just reverted to this more primitive understanding of God, but that's, that was their experience of God. That was their personal experience of God. Oh, wow. so and I'm that was their interpretation of their personal experience with God. And if personal experience with God is, of God is as important as 
you say it is, then who are we to discount their interpretation of their personal experience? But isn't it more primitive? And, and he, here's a here's a great example to apply with me. I remember, I mean, check, imagine this. Imagine a, a dude getting home, getting to his dorm room after class, knowing his roommate's not going to be there, and basically pacing around the room praying audibly thinking that the more passionate i am in my prayers the more god is going to be pleased with me and the less chances of me falling into sin and the less chances of me going to hell and the more chances of me not being depressed and just you know the 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 more vocal i am the more passionately i seek god the more kinder he's going to be to me like that was my perception of god isn't that can't i now look back and be like that was primitive Yes, you can, but you're looking back at yourself. So, But couldn't you say the same thing as a trusted friend? Like, Joey, that was wrong. I could, but I would... If I'm going to start telling people that their experience of God is wrong, I want to be really careful about that. Because I don't... um, I don't know. Right. Right? Um, And that's one of the things you want to be careful about and and be humble about. And, And I think... I don't know. I just I think that my objection to saying that about Ananias and Sapphira is I think that that is getting into um, demanding that the ancient world have 21st century values, and you know, um, and and not just 21st century values, but Western um, liberal democracy 21st century values, right? Like does does someone uh, in uh, in another country? with a different culture have a problem with that passage? Would they say that's more primitive? I think a lot of them wouldn't. Right. Well, who's right? As far as um, God why, striking them down because yeah, they withheld. Why, 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 are, why would we be right in saying that that is a more primitive understanding? Why would we be right in saying that, oh, well, they were in seeing God there, they revert to more primitive understanding? Um, why would we be right? Because Americans were just more oh, progressed well, and yeah, mature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we we're sure are. Than the world. <laughs> we're doing a bang-up job right now. I mean, now. look at our president. <laughs> That's, I'm not saying anything about that. Oh um, my, I mean, couldn't couldn't the issue of slavery bring everyone to at least a place? But I think there's two ways of going with slavery. As you could say, yes, people's faith was matured along the way. Look at the Old Testament and how they just talked about slavery and they didn't necessarily <clears throat> denounce it. Look at where we are now. Or you have to take a impossible puzzle to put together, but just basically say, no, 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 the Bible wasn't pro-slavery. I mean, is yeah, that is that not well, something that we can all uh, hang our hats on, that that is something that we've grown I, in? No, it is certainly something we've grown in. I, At the same time, why have we grown in it? Where did that come from? didn't come from nowhere. It came from, uh, you know, the a lot of the... Um, movement against slavery in the Western world over the last few hundred years came directly from Christianity. Sure, but and and well, well, well let me finish, and some will say no, it was Enlightenment principles. I'm like I'm not saying the Enlightenment principles weren't a big part of that. They were, but the idea that um, the Bible is or the New Testament is um, pro-slavery because it doesn't talk. The, the idea that the Bible is pro-slavery because it is insufficiently woke drives me out of my mind. Um, <laughs> like it is just to me, it is just so stupid to look at ancient documents and demand that they talk the way we want them to talk. But weren't there, am I right to say there were laws given from God that was almost a disregard to slavery? Like if your slave does such and such, you can do such and such or. Yeah. So, and, and, um, 
I want to, you know, I'll, I will, I will remind me. I will take up that in one of the, you know, other Aspects. podcasts. I do. Yeah, yeah, because I, I do want to give that the space I think it deserves. Um, uh, so, so let me put it this way: I've got no problem asking that question. Certainly, no. I, that's a great question to ask, um, and I think there are a lot of there are a lot of things to say about it. You know, you could easily point to the fact that, you know, uh, compared to other cultures in the ancient Near East, the Bible is actually rather progressive in the way it deals with those questions. But part of the deal is so so let's say that let's say that you go into um let's say that you were able to time travel back um you know two thousand years, right? You get to go be part of one of the first New Testament churches, right? And you want them to have all of these things that are important to you, right? So, you know, equality for women and um children are you know elevated more and and, and uh, not just you know treated like nuisances and right. and no no more slavery and um well, let's just let's just take you know equality for women and no more slavery and and you're going to go fix those things no you're not right no you're not in fact you're going to make things worse um and i think that this idea that what jesus really should have done was spend a lot of time talking about how bad slavery was right um it's like listen that's not how you change cultures right the way that you change cultures is you plant seeds and when you try to um, when you try to just, you know, basically have revolution, um, you create a lot of problems. And gosh, look what happened instead. Look what the gospel did. The gospel over time, uh, as it developed and as it grew, and as we came to understand the way that the world should be in light of the resurrection, these things do change. Yeah. And we do grow and we do develop and we do ha- come to a uh, more and more understanding of what the we are still understanding the way that the resurrection uh, or, or the implications of the resurrection. I, I think one of the ways that we are really learning um, about the implications of the resurrection today is with environmental issues. Right? Is gosh, the church has not done the job that it should have done, paying attention to environmental issues. And I think that you see us really growing in that way now, and and that's good, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen until. Jesus comes back. But, um, you know, 500 years from now, people are going to be really frustrated that we weren't, you know, faster to change about some things. Uh, Climate would probably be one of them. But there are some things that 500 years from now, people will say, I can't believe you thought this, that we would think, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't even realize it's a problem now. Right. But they will then. And so to, to project our, you know, values 2,000 years ago and... How could they? How could they not be as enlightened as we are? Um, I I just think that is the height of obnoxious arrogance. Yeah. So maybe, maybe God saying, okay, or you know, God didn't say this, but maybe God's thinking, okay, slavery, you guys got that wrong. But while you have it wrong, here are some principles to go by. Similar to, hey, don't. Don't do heroin, but here's some clean needles so you don't spread yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and, and, well. And I guess my only problem with this is that, I, I, and if I would have known we were, I was going to get us here, I would have looked up some examples. I'm almost sure there's some really vile laws that were apparently given by God and how to treat women that were raped or just, just different stuff like that. I, I'd, I'd have to look. And that's why. I really like Roar's theory on yeah these these people weren't hearing well from God. This was their yeah. I think so. So that is something that you know 
in terms of the oh, when we read things like, you know, the killing of all the Canaanites in, in Joshua or some of the laws, like oh, maybe they just didn't hear God right. I I am open to that to a degree. Um, the problem is, as soon as you say that, wh- what do you trust? Right? What at what point do you decide? Oh no, they they did hear it right from him there. What because it matches up with what you want to think about God? Yeah. And that is my concern. And again, that kind of gets to the elevating personal experience and personal preference over scripture over tradition. Is well. I really need this to confirm what I already think. Right. Um, you know, it's like it's like there there is you know a lot of evidence that we don't we don't really make decisions based on reason. We make decisions based on emotion, right. and then we look for the reasons to justify those emotions. Yep. And um, and so when we look at the Bible, I have you know I think it is good to to look at some of those laws and look at the war in Canaan and be aghast. But what you need to do is you need to process that honestly. And if your starting point is, well, that can't be right, or that can't have been God, um, that's a problem. Because it means that you were shutting the door to a lot of possibilities, right? Um, it's important to ask more open-ended questions than that, yeah. right? Because that's not even a question, that's a statement. Oh, that can't, that can't have been God. They must have misunderstood. That That must be a primitive. And God didn't kill Ananias and Sapphira. That must have been a reversion to. That's a problem. Right. Because you're basically saying what it couldn't have been. Yeah. And that's you saying that. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I'm... Those are good questions to ask. But make sure they're questions, not statements. Right. You know, again, like, God's, God's pretty big. He can handle you thinking that's messed up. You can He can handle you... You know, thinking I don't think that's right, right? But follow through on that. Yeah. So, were were you uneasy at that last clip when he says that once you have the living Savior and the living Word, like in other words, have an understanding of God's universal mercy and grace and all that, then we can entrust you with God's Word and how you would use it. And well, so in in a sense, I think that's totally right. In the sense of if 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 you are not if you're not capable of um, looking at the Bible, the entire Bible, through the lens of the gospel, you're going to misuse it. Like, it is it is totally possible, and it happens all the time, to misuse the Bible. Yeah. Right? You can, you can abuse people with it. Right? You can believe lies with it. Um, it, is, it is absolutely and very easy, uh, absolutely possible and very easy to misuse the Bible. Um, and so I do think he's very right in the sense of, um, you know, if, uh, if, if you don't have, you know, the Holy Spirit to guide you, if you are not going to see the lens, if you are not going to look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel, right? If, if the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is not the lens through which you are seeing everything, you're going to see it wrong. Yeah. Right. Because the whole thing is incomplete without those things. Um, and so I, I think that is absolutely true in the sense of um, if you don't have the right starting point and you don't have the right lens to see the whole thing through, you're going to abuse people with it. Yeah, gotcha. All right, so we'll wrap this up with talking about the importance of experience, and I've got a couple of clips to play here. It feels, and I understand this, it has to appeal to an absolute source. 
It's the only way to stop the argumentation. You want to hold yourself together, at least in some kind of tribe or some kind of coherence. So I, I think that need to speak with one voice, to speak with a united front, gave both of our groups a different kind of bias toward absolute outer authority and allowed us to underplay what, you know, I mean, Jesus himself, Paul himself, this is undeniable. They trust their own experience of God against their own scriptures. That's true in Jesus, and that's true in Paul. Now, there we make them, the writers of, <laughs> are the main figures in the New Testament, but we don't dare follow their pattern. Hmm. Uh, both of them were highly critical right. of how their scriptures were being interpreted. Well, we don't follow them because, yeah. I mean, they are, as the argument usually goes, you don't follow them because they're writers of the Bible. Exactly. And of course, the irony is that, well, no, actually, maybe that's why we should follow them. And there you go. There you go. You right. just poked it wide open. Didn't we, though? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we always make an exception. Well, they were different. Well, are we supposed to imitate Jesus and Paul or not? They both told us to. And for me, that was the big giveaway that as I directed people, both Catholic and Protestant, I would again and again see that they led with experience anyway. But that experience was unaccountable. And that's why I put experience as the front wheel of the tricycle. I think Protestants de facto trust their own experience and then they find scriptures to validate it. I think Catholics yeah, right. do the same thing. And then we find a saint or a mystic or a pope or a bishop who will agree with us. Mm -hmm. So I know I'm prejudiced, but I don't think this takes a lot of proof. This is obvious to me that we all lead with our own experience. And let's start being honest about that. Mm -hmm. Instead of pretending that we started with some magical scripture quote that fell from the heavens, and this gave us the gift of faith. Our gift of faith came through our human, anthropological, cultural, and religious human experience. All right, so Paul and Jesus, did they do what Rohr said as far as putting the legitimacy of their experience over, I guess he would be talking about the Old Testament. Yeah, well, so so one, one thing real quick, um, because he, you know, hearing the tricycle clip again, I think that you know he puts experience as the front wheel of the tricycle, not because it's the most important, but because we all lead with it. And I think that is totally true. Um, so uh, I do want to clarify that because I, you know, earlier I, I hadn't heard the clip since I listened to it last, and so I wasn't remembering it uh, as clearly. And so, so if he's saying that it's the front wheel of the tricycle because it's we all lead with it, I think that's totally right. I, like I would absolutely agree with that. No, yeah. I, I want to make sure that's that's clear. Because I think earlier I, I my my remembering had been that he was treating it as priority, but anyway, now that's interesting because um, I would have made that synonymous, leading with it and prioritizing. And, and maybe it. he does. I don't know. That, it's not clear to me that he does. Um, I, well, I think I think he does um, based on the on the podcast as a whole. Right. Um, but you know, it's absolutely true that we all lead with experience. I mean, you, you can't do otherwise. Right. I mean, Paul would have always been Saul if it wasn't for that big yeah. spiritual experience well, on the road to Damascus. But but even again, it, even again, you know, when uh, think about if you have an interaction, like like let's say that that you know you go home and uh, and your wife 
you say you walk in the door and you say hello to your wife and and she says hello back but it's a little short and you can tell there's something wrong in her tone so that's an experience and then what you're going to do is you're going to check that experience against your mental catalog of your history with her what you know about her you know so in other words you can't help but start with personal experience you have to um and so i think that is totally fair and then what we do is we go so with a, we have a personal experience with god the healthy thing to do is to interpret that in light of scripture interpret that in light of tradition interpret that in light of our other personal experiences and maybe take it to some other people and get their feedback on it but but yeah Everyone leads with personal experience. You, I don't think you can do otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, um, so in terms of Paul and Jesus, um, gosh, I, I wish, like, I wish they had talked more about that because it's hard to respond when he he doesn't give really specific examples. Um, you know, I know later. I don't think you played this clip, but I, I made a note of it when I was listening the first time. You know, a little bit later, he qualified saying that Jesus and Paul were both critical of how the scriptures were interpreted. Well, that's very different from being critical of the scriptures themselves. And so I'm not, he, he might mean both. He might think they did both. Um, it's not clear to me, again, with, especially without examples, it's not clear to me that Paul and Jesus were critical of the scriptures themselves. It's very clear that they were critical of how they were interpreted. And it's very clear that they, that they brought a new level of understanding to those passages, right? Especially the you know the way Paul does. Well, Jesus with the "You've heard it said, but I say to you," right? right. I mean, he brought new levels of understanding to scriptures. Um, so he was not debunking; he was bringing deeper understanding. Yeah, I don't I, like. I can't think. Obviously, he. I don't think. You know, Richard gave any specific examples. Um, and, and yeah, like you said, so I feel very weird referring to him by the. His first name, right? So Father. If, if you're rich, if you're listening, sir, uh, forgive me. Um, but uh, without specific examples, and I couldn't really think of any. I, I can't think of any examples where Paul or Jesus, like, cri- criticize or debunk or overturn scriptures themselves. They certainly do that to the way that you know religious experts of their day understood those scriptures. And, and for Jesus, he naturally brought a lot of new understanding to passages that were about himself, right? He said that, you know, that, hey, this passage, this is about me, you know? Right. Um, and so, and so, yeah, that happened a lot. And, and, you know, Paul especially, Paul did things with the Old Testament that no one was doing. Right. Um, I mean, wasn't he basically changing the meaning, the original meaning to express something else? He... Um. So he he definitely did things with it that no one had before, um, and you know, like so, like one of the things that you see um, happen sometimes, and actually Peter does this at the beginning of Acts, is he quotes a psalm. Uh, I think it's a psalm uh, to justify why they need to cast lots to choose a new disciple. Um. I don't think that psalm was a prophecy of that moment. He's just using it in a way that um, he's using that scripture in a way that we would not really use scripture. Yeah, and that is that. He, that's just the way that we don't really think of using scripture. Um, so that's just kind of a difference. But he wasn't like overturning it or critiquing it. And so I don't think that Jesus and Paul overturned scripture. Uh, but again, since since you know Richard Lair goes back and says that they critiqued the interpretations of scripture, I'm not sure if he means one or the other or both. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what is what would be some examples of people using experiences in an unhealthy way? Because it seems like it seems like you are way and and in a in a complimentary way way softer on experience than yeah. context of other conversations we've had. Yeah. Well, because again, I think you know, experience is vital. Um, experience is very important, and I don't want to minimize it. What where I get really frustrated is when people. Um, when people basically look for reasons to justify what they already want to believe, right? Without criti- without ever asking whether their experience is wrong. Like this is, and, and I think this is my deal with personal experience is, you know, you can have a personal experience and have a wrong understanding of it. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, one of my, you know, one of my deals with, with feelings, right? It's like, why well, just, uh, you know, I feel this way, and feelings can't be wrong. Sure they can. Feelings can be <laughs> wrong all the time. Right? Have you never been mad at someone and then later realized that you shouldn't have been mad at them? Right. Like, ha- I mean, you know, as, as a parent, have you ever, you know, like, yelled at your kid for doing something and then realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, like, he was right, I right. was wrong, I didn't realize this was happening. Right? Like, like Good parenting, you, by you, the way. Do <laughs> not tell your kid that. Don't tell him you made a mistake. <laughs> But like you know, you you think that you know, like I think for me with with you know my kids, one of the things that the mistake that I find myself making is is I think that they're not listening to me and they're actually doing something that I actually want them to do, right? So like like I, you know, I say, hey, come here, and he's not coming here because he's cleaning up. Yeah, it's like well, okay, so all right, I shouldn't have gotten upset because you were doing something actually is good and I want to encourage. Right. So yeah, your personal experience can be wrong. Um, you can wildly misinterpret personal experience. So the, you know, the personal experience itself is not authoritative. You need to understand it, right? Just like, just like what I was saying, the Bible itself is authoritative, but you need to realize that you are the one interacting with the text. Um, and so your personal experience in, in itself it needs to be understood. Yeah. Right? Um, you can't just say, why well, experience this? And therefore, you, you need to understand it. Yeah. And what I see a lot of people doing is, I feel very strongly about this subject. And, um, and what I see is, is, them, is them essentially saying, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that's where I end up to. Right. Because I, I don't want that to be wrong. Yeah. And for me... You know, there are things that I very much want to be wrong about, but until I'm convinced otherwise, I feel like I have to hold to what I think, yeah, what I believe, right? Yeah. Like there, are, so so actually, you know, Adam and Eve is a good one, right? We're Adam and Eve historical. Um, I don't, you know, without going kind of into depth with my deal, I'm sort of at a place where I would be okay with this option, I would be okay with that option. I'm not convinced of either, so I have a default position that I'm going to stay at. And that's, again, that's, that's not like a, and therefore I believe this wholeheartedly. Right. Um, no, I, I've got a lot of questions. And because I have a lot of questions, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it either way. Um, but I'm also not going to just change my mind until I'm, until I'm convinced. Right. Um, I, I know where I would like to be. And there are a lot of questions like that. Um, like, you know, there are a lot of very controversial 
opinions that I wish I didn't have. It would be way easier for me to not have these controversial opinions. Yeah. I would very much like to be convinced <laughs> otherwise. But until I am, right? Um, until I am, I think it's it's wrong and dangerous to go against my conscience. Yeah. Um, I almost think it's... And, hel- oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and now that cuts both ways. Yeah. Because right? conscience is sort of a personal experience too. Right. Right? So in a sense, I am... I am my personal experiences are fighting with one another. Yeah. And I don't know which one is right necessarily. Yeah. 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 I almost feel like a good rule of thumb would be to, to, uh, downplay. Come on. I think a good rule of thumb would be almost to downplay those experiences. And if it's God, it's yeah. going to eventually settle in your soul where you're like, I can't, downplay this anymore this yeah this gotta well be God. i think i think that you know sort of like your interpretation of scripture that needs to be held with an open hand right you need to be okay with being wrong about your understanding of it and i think that extends to it's important to do that with scripture right it's important to be be willing to say i might not understand this correctly um and it's the same thing with personal experience you need to be willing to say i am not understanding this correctly and, and i and i think that that Richard would absolutely agree with that because that's kind of what he does with the Bible, right? The the way they interpreted Ananias and Sapphira's death, you know, he 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 from what I can tell from the podcast, he sort of believes that their under, their understanding of that was wrong. They saw that as God, and from what I can tell, he sees their understanding of their personal experience as being, um, if not wrong, not as um, enlightened to such a gross word but not not as high level awareness not high level consciousness as it should have been yeah um and i think that's fair because i think that's what we should do for ourselves too um i think we should be careful when we do it to the bible because i do think the bible is inspired right um but yeah awesome all right cool well last question if i had to only listen to one person for the rest of my life, Rob Bell or Mark Driscoll? Oh my gosh, is the worst. <laughs> you know, like maybe if you played them both at the same time, they would cancel each other out and you just have silence. <laughs>